You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. When she got up this morning, you know, she stumbles in at 720 and she comes in the door where I'm at and she snuggles in real close. And then she says, I want to play with your phone. And I mean, it's like, you know, okay, child, number one, you woke me up to play with my phone. Yeah. Number two, you were sick just long enough for us not to go out for <laughs> dinner last night. <laughs> just enough time. Yeah. But um, we did, uh, we ordered in some, some pizza though. So we had a consolation prize uh so <laughs> anyone norman uh not a sponsor but stars and stripes pizza if you haven't had the had them yet pretty good for uh for the cost actually i think they're just as good as like uh pizza hut or or uh mazio's or any of the other local establishments better than papa john's like, <laughs> i was i was actually impressed uh with the quality of pizza yeah so. and, and their their specialty pizzas are are, are i think eight dollars for a large i mean that's, you can't hardly beat the 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 price and the, the qualities there and you know I, like i was talking to to mickey the other day we were talking about getting pizza she's like maybe we can just grab a hot and ready pizza on the way home i'm like if we're gonna go the hot and ready pizza is five dollars at little caesar's right? right so i'm like let's spend three more dollars and get something fresh something that has more flavor something you actually want to yes. eat <laughs> yeah like the the hot and ready pizza it's it's not a good deal anymore when you have someone, you know, when you have some other people who can can do a better pizza. And even even like uh, Pizza Hut sometimes online, they'll do online specials of, of two topping large pizzas for seven ninety nine. So, you know, keep your eye open for those, and and you're you're not out that much. So, well, and you know, where I'm at, pizza is like not something I get very. <clears throat> excuse me, those frogs are creeping in, um, but not something you get very often because just location and right we just don't eat out well and if we do eat out it's going to be mexican i mean mexican or sushi right took me two years to convince ty that sushi was real food and now he's like addicted way more than (laughs) i i think i am so pizza's kind of like a nice change yeah well and yeah so i mean and yeah it's it's good stuff we like it and i i think i like pizza more than mickey does but i was um I I kind of felt bad because we we were geared up to go and and eat someplace nice and then I was like you know we might as well get something from a restaurant to eat <laughs> um, because a lot of times you when you come in you just watch the kids and eat whatever we have in the house yeah leftovers frozen pizza mac and cheese seems to be a standard uh, yeah that's it's just something easy for people who are watching the kids to to fix but anyway so, <laughs> so speaking of fixing things for your kids watching the kids uh, well, guarding flocks different type of kid. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, <laughs> works. So, <laughs> and so, yeah, Jacob has. Uh, I think we left him last time. We were talking about um, his use of sympathetic magic to get these spotted, speckled, and streaked critters from the flocks. Right, and that was going to be his wages from Laban, because he had to figure out an airtight way to get paid without Laban being able to hijack it somehow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, after that, after the last bait and switch. Yeah, we, we certainly don't ask him for another daughter. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> wow. That turns out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think about about that. By that time, he's all spoused up. You know, he's hit his limit. Yeah, because he's at four at this point. Because he's got Rachel and Leah and both of their maid servants, and um, it's during this time that he's like, he tells Laban basically, "You have changed my wages ten times in the in the time that I've been here." Right. So you just keep your money and here's what we're going to do. Right. And Laban, I think Laban kind of has an idea that, wait a minute, there's something off with this deal, but I can't see the flaw in it. Can't. Yeah. Just <laughs> something not quite there, but, but yeah. Um, so yeah. And then we talked about too, about how, you know, we try to justify the, the, the use of sympathetic magic. And now we, we talked to you, you kind of alluded to this. I don't think we really, I don't know if we specifically said it, but you know, he, he tries to explain it to Rachel and Leah later on mm-hmm. by saying that God told him to do it in a dream. Right. Now, 
what we what we were talking about is this the possibility that he was you know maybe being maybe being dishonest maybe he, he was lying he was about being that. jacob yeah being jacob <laughs> and I, I, maybe we did talk about it but you know he was uh that you know he was trying to cover his tracks and that's a possibility because when he does it, it when the first time it's told what he's doing and you know and he's even going to the extent of when the weak animals come up to the water trough to do their business he uh decides to take the weak ones away, he won't put the sticks out for the weak ones. Right. It's only for the strong ones that he's willing to do this. And there's no mention of God anywhere in that account. And so did God really tell him to do this? Or is this his way? Because we'll, we'll kind of read through it as we get to that point. When he's talking to Rachel and Leah, he's really, I mean, he's putting, uh, trying to remember the word. I mean, he's, he's doing the whole sales pitch and he's mm-hmm. schmoozing and he's trying to explain to them exactly why they need to be okay leaving because you know they're going to be take he's going to be taking them and their kids on this massive journey across the desert away from anything they've known and you know I've known people who won't move across town from their parents right and why do we think that biblical people human beings are going to be any different than people today on things like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, you said you had more stuff about the sympathetic magic aspect of this, though. So I'm curious to hear what you've got Yeah, because this is really, it is important. And the reason why it's important is it, it establishes who Jacob is and it, not just the trickster side of him. So um, I want to go back over the definition uh, that I gave last time in case anybody slept since last week. And, um, which I'm hoping y'all guys are getting a chance to do, you know, no screaming kids in the house. <laughs> but there are, um, James Frazier wrote The Golden Bow. It's kind of the, um, not to be, use a pun, but it's the gold standard for um, talking about mythologies and magics and mm. different things in ancient cultures. And he is, um, He's a lot of fun to read because if you read through his things, I mean, he's just got a ton of uh, of myths and mythologies that he's put together and something that they call comparative religions. Right. Now, comparative religions as a study has really fallen out of favor, but uh, it's still, it's interesting because I think you're going to come across some, some uh, stories that you may not come across in any other works that you might read. So, right. And it's very easy to read. I have to look that up. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's worth reading. But um, if you want to talk myth and mythology, James Frazier and Joseph Campbell, those are your right. two. Those are your go-to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Edith Hamilton is the other one. Sure. So got to throw a woman in there. But okay, so there's two types of sympathetic magic. And there's the um, law of similarity, like produces like. And this is exactly what Jacob is doing. He is creating white spots on these sticks, and these white sticks, or these sticks with white spots, right. are producing sheep with spots. Right. And um, it's actually it's kind of funny, because the word Laban actually means white. So there's kind of this idea that Jacob is beating Laban at his own game, but it, it's kind of put in there with that little play on words. And yeah. You know, that, that's one of the things that you aren't going to get if you read it in the English. So another reason why if you ever get a chance to say Hebrew, just do it. The second <laughs> law of sympathetic magic is the law of contagion or contact. So basically, if something has been blessed or has been cursed and you come in contact with it, then that, that blessing and purse, curse, I don't know where the word purse came from, that blessing and curse can be transmitted to you. Yeah. Now, here's actually something uh, you're talking about, the contagion aspect of this. Mm-hmm. This is um, this is actually something that Mickey, because I, I, I talked to her once about this years ago. I don't even know why we were talking about it. <laughs> it's a weird topic to, to discuss. Hence the oddities. Uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it is a funny topic to just randomly discuss. I don't remember why we were talking about it, but she said that she remembers hearing the story growing up and her understanding of the way it was taught was that um, he was putting the sticks in the drinking water and that the what they were drinking did something to the goats and the sheep, and so that when you talk about the contagion aspect, uh, that was that was something that just kind of sprung to mind. 
I, I that's been something that's been bannered around because I think a lot of Christians are trying to understand how this happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's this whole school of thought out there that's trying to debunk the miracles. Uh, manna was snail poop, and yeah, I, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, there's a is like a either caterpillar excrement or mm-hmm. snail uh, leavens. Yeah, and and. and I, I Are there think, snails in the desert? Is there enough moisture? <laughs> That's a good question. I'd have to look that I would up. Have to, uh, yeah, I don't know. But the, there's this idea that maybe if we uh, can kind of come up with a, a logical solution, then maybe it's going to make more sense. And there's even, you know, genetics and how does all that come into work? And for a long time, when Christians were trying to rationalize or justify this, there's a problem with. They didn't know anything about genetics. They didn't know anything about how all this went together. So um, a uh, law of similarity, uh, an example of what that would look like, we can look at uh, idols. Idols were created to look like the gods that Mm. they represented. And so the gods would then be able to inhabit them because there was a similar image for them to descend into. Yeah. And then the law of contagion... um, Blessed and cursed food. If you eat blessed food, then you're going to be happy and you're going to experience prosperity. Cursed food, which is actually probably poisoned, but you know, it's it's semantics. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's how uh, kind of what it works. But there is in this um, society, you've got three different kinds of thought going on, and one was be called pure magic, and pure magic is the idea that magic is an impersonal force that people um, can access it kind of like the force maybe in star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. It just, it just exists. And if you know how to access it and activate it correctly, then you can, can gain some kind of benefit from using it. And, but to activate it, you have to do it through sympathetic magic. And that's that's some, some kind of ritual. Right. And it's a specific ritual. It can't just be, Anything. You have to know the right words. You have to know. And this is where we get the idea of casting spells and all of that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. And um, you have to use the precise objects. There's not, you you can't just use anything. Again, you've got to know the secret code in order to crack it. And it's only performed by specific people. And these people are what we would call shaman or holy men or, you know, they've got some kind of standing in the spiritual world that would give them that kind of input or, right. yeah. So, some kind of prophetic in. Ex- exactly. And, and that's, in doing this, Jacob is actually hitting a lot of those because now he's hitting that pure magic aspect because we know that you know, the branches are magical objects. He knows the precise manner and how to use them. He offers sacrifices later on, so he operates as a holy man. And it produces a real observable effect. And it seems to operate on a cause and effect basis. Now, the Bible attributes, obviously, the cause to God. The the cause is God. Sure. But by allowing Jacob to do this, God is really putting him in the position of a holy man as having access to a higher spiritual realm than anybody else around him. Right. And that, that's important for prestige. That's important for what he's getting ready to walk into. He, he's now not just in the eyes of God have, as having been called. Remember, Abraham had that moment with Abimelech where he's identified as a, as a prophet. Right. Now he's not just somebody who's called. He is actually somebody who has spiritual powers. And he's being established in the eyes of the community as someone with spiritual powers. Hmm. And so he, it's not, I, I, we need to be careful because it's not necessarily that this is what he was supposed to do. As we discussed, there's that question whether God told him to do it or not. Right. But there is that um, God using it right. aspect of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. And, and that's, again, back to the, the overall theme of the Old Testament, that it's, again, when we put the focus on Jacob or on Abraham or on Isaac or any character, we think it's their story. And, you know, it is to a degree, their character in the story, but we see that the only character in all of it is God. And so, you know, we, uh, 
we see that it's it's actually him stepping in and redeeming situation after situation after situation that humanity manages to mess up over and over again. And, and I think this kind of wrapping everything up with uh, Jacob's time with Laban kind of being the, the final, almost the final scene, mm-hmm. it, it does, it demonstrates who Jacob is becoming as he's with Laban. Right. And that's the real danger of being with Laban and spending all that time there is who is he willing to become? Yeah. And because Laban's, I mean, he's picking up on all the things that are a part of Jacob's character, his natural proclivities. And Laban's are, I mean, Jacob's the student and Laban's the master. Right. And so Laban earlier, whenever he had gone after Jacob um, or, and said, hey, you know, don't leave. You need to stay with me mm-hmm. because you're good luck, basically. Right. And he actually, Laban uses a term there. It's a very interesting term, uh, nakash. And it, I think you know this much Hebrew. What? Nik- I, yeah. Yeah, I know nakash is the term that, that, you know, it was for the snake in the garden, right? Yeah, exactly. He, he's, he's using that same term. He says, I've defined this, the, or I've nakashed this. That's really bad Hebrew with the English uh, ending there. <laughs> Right. I've defined this, but he's using that word nakash. This is uh, the serpent in the garden. Uh, Joseph actually um, claims to be a nakash whenever the brothers go to Egypt, and he says, "I'm don't you know I'm a diviner? Okay, uh, this is how I know what's going on with you guys." And so Laban is. Um, there's some major traditions that we're going to go into later about his uh, background, but. The fact that he uses this term, because that term, when you break it down and you look at how it used, is used in scripture, one of the things that you'll notice is it basically boils down to receiving spiritual information through illicit means. That's, that's the, what the snake tempted. The, the term nakash, is mm-hmm. that, that's, that, that's the implication, is that, right. that someone is, yeah, because if you, if you look at uh, the knowledge of good and evil, um, it's in that part, um, Jacob, uh, using, you know, using sympathetic magic. Yeah. That, that kind of makes sense. I can see how that, that would tie together. Well, and that's, that's Jacob's temptation because, um, Laban has, has used many deceitful means to get his way mm-hmm. and Jacob's used deceitful means to get his way. And now is Jacob going to make the break? That's the, that's the big question. And I should point out that in this whole cycle, there is, there's lots of magical elements happening in the story. Right. Because we had the mandrakes, also a form of sympathetic magic. Right. Because, you know, they looked like, like, um, humans. Yeah. That's the word. Those things. People. Yeah. (laughs) So we got the mandrakes and then we've got the, um, got this going on with the sticks and the sheep. And then we got Laban, uh, saying, Hey, I've divined this. I've nakashed it. Mm-hmm. And then when Jacob does get ready to leave, we find out that Rachel decides to steal the teraphim. Right. So, how you doing over there? Hi. I got busy talking. I about lost my breath. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. Everyone, everyone's here for a reason. So, I'm just... Uh, yeah, so Rachel steals the teraphim. Now, the teraphim, uh, basically, we see household gods in the ESV, um, mm-hmm. which I accidentally read as household goods earlier. As Rachel stole his household stole goods. Stole the household goods. I know the household gods, you know, uh, or idols. Um, and now, if I remember right, uh, listening to uh, other podcasts on this, they were there's possible that they were either... Uh, it could be that they were either Middle Eastern gods or deities. It, it's also possible that it could just be uh, statues that represented uh, family members in the past, which would uh, fall into ancestor worship, um, kind of the same way that that we would. I mean, not the same way, but a similar. You know, it, it. But it could also be just having like images of of people, like we would hang pictures in the our family hall. photo albums. Yeah. Yeah, we'd hang pictures in our hall or have family photo albums. Is that's a possibility as well? It, it is a possibility, and uh, teraphim are kind of um, one of those items in the Bible that was never very clearly defined. 
uh, they really only show up one other time, and that's when um, David is trying to get away from Saul, mm-hmm. and Michael helps. Yeah, and she uh, she puts it in the bed. Yeah, so evidently that was a pretty sizable teraphim. Yeah, I wonder what it was made out of. Probably wood, I would guess. I would but... hope so, and a light wood at that, because, <laughs> I mean, unless she had servants to help her, which was a possibility. Well, which, I mean, although it, it may have just, you know, it may have just been a bust that, you know, put at the top of some pillows or something. <laughs> I just have the head poking out. <laughs> so You would think you'd put the head, the cover, okay, we spend way too much time trying to figure out exactly how this stuff happened. Hey, it's, it's fun to think about. Yeah, well, that's that's the... I, I, yeah, that's something we enjoy doing. But these evidently were smaller because uh, Rachel does steal them away. And um, there's more than one because it is definitely in the plural. Right. And there is the idea that, yes, it could have been kind of a representation of the family members, but there it could also have been... Uh, her way of doing two different two different things. Um, one of them, you know, Laban is a diviner. Sure. What's he using to divine with? We know in in the Bible, uh, the Uman and Thuman. The, the Urim and the Thumin. I mean, yeah, thank you. The I don't know why I keep losing words. It's no sleep. That's, yeah, you're, that's Nobody sleeps at your house. Yes, that's why I talk the way I do. <laughs> so... But, uh, you know, items are used for divination, the casting of lots and that kind of thing throughout the Bible. And so there's a possibility that Laban was using these to divine and she was trying to hide their location. That would, that would make sense. And, and, you know, it's a possibility. And then the other thing, too, is there's a possibility that by owning these, and this could also be where the representation of the family comes in, that by having these, she's taking claim to her inheritance. Right. And so I have them, therefore the family blessing has to come with me. Yeah. Uh, well, there's that. And speaking of inheritance, I mean, even um, before they leave, you see uh, Laban's sons are, are getting upset that basically Jacob is, is getting all the best, like his, the best flocks and, and stealing away the inheritance. And so. Which wh- is reminiscent of his interaction with Esau. Right. And so, yeah, there's, there's that. And, and, you know, as we've covered before, inheritance is your main way to, to make a legacy. It's, it's, it's your, it's the only link. And this is, you know, kind of universal to everyone. It's your only link in a lot of people's minds to possible immortality. Right. Well, and, you know, if you look at the wording there, Laban has become Jacob's adopted dad. Mm Mm-hmm. These Laban's sons, which, by the way, that's the first um, kind of hint that we have that Laban has sons. Right. And so um, that tells you a little bit about Rachel, the fact that she was able to um, or was required or needed to be a shepherdess. How many flocks and goats and sheep did he have? Right. And so these guys are Laban's, uh, not Laban's, they're, they're Jacob's brother-in-laws. But at that time, they would just be considered brothers. There's, there's no distinction. Right. And so we're back to trickery, stealing the birthright, just like with Esau. Right. And no, I didn't have anything. I'm sorry. I was. I thought you did. No, no, I just I wanted to point that out because because you were talking about inheritance and and getting the getting all the stuff from the father, which I mean, I'm sure just if they I mean, depending on what those idols were made out of or the Mm -hmm. it or it, those could actually be worth quite a bit as well, you know, monetarily. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. We we don't have anything about what material that we were made out of. Really, the only clue we have about their physical nature is the fact that Rachel hides them under a camel saddle. Right. And so, so they're small enough to fit under the saddle of a camel. Yeah, and this is. What, I mean, which that's not tiny. It's not <laughs> tiny, but you know what's? It's kind of funny. Um, some of them can actually be smaller than a horse saddle, and. I found a few of them in antique stores that I've wanted to buy just to carry around for object Like Middle lessons. Eastern ones? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. They, okay. They can, be, they can be pretty small. And... Um, oh, yeah, I had no doubt that they could be small, you know, because I, I mean, my thought is even like, you know, about the size of chess pieces for some of these things right. it could be. Oh, yeah. And, and so that's, that's the thing. We've kind of got to read between the lines to even get that much uh, what's going on there. And, but the other thing, which I, 
I, I kind of lean towards this interpretation of what they're being. What's Rachel's main concern in life? I, children? Children. Okay. So I lean towards the idea that they had something to do with fertility. Oh, that's, that's, that's a, a good possibility. And, well, and I'm not the only one. <laughs> and so this that's, is actually... <laughs> funny story. Okay. Um, so speaking of fertility, uh, fertility idols, gods, mm-hmm. images, whatever you want to call it, um, we actually have some of those, or mom does still. <laughs> I was going to ask if you had gotten them. Um, no. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, dad had brought those back from the Philippines uh, when he... <laughs> when he was uh, stationed over there in the Navy. And so there's, there are two wooden mugs that we have at the house. Mm-hmm. And apparently they're supposed to be these fertility mugs that if you drink from them, uh, you know, we, we use them to hold pencils. Which might um, explain why we're writers. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was really funny because uh, some, I don't remember how it came up, but shortly after Mickey and I got married, we were over there. And, uh, and dad, dad, dad saw him or picked one up and said, Hey, bub, does Mickey need a new mug? (laughs) So, um, so, uh, and, and I I looked at Mickey, I'm like, don't take it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cause he didn't even let mom know what they were forever. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I remember when she found out she was kind of appalled. But well, and, and the thing is, you know, you know, we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't make a big deal of them. They were just there, you know, there's cultural artifact more than anything, but we didn't, I I didn't know what they were for, for many years. They were just these funny looking mugs. The randomness that dad brought home from his time overseas. And that was actually one of the nicer things he brought home. So So, yeah. um, There's like a coconut over grandma and grandpa's. Yeah. That one's still there. That was because he spent a, he sent that he was in Hawaii when he sent that one back, right? I Didn't... I don't remember. I just know that he sent it. He just put the, like the mailing label, stapled it to the outside husk. Yeah, they yeah they used to just they would just send it that way, and so that that one's is it? Where did that one wind up? Mom may have it. I don't know, but yeah, yeah I was always I remember it being over there at Grandpa's, and uh, that it, was it's like well over forty five years old at this point. Oh yeah, this oh, yeah. yeah random coconut. Because I'm sure grandma and grandpa had no idea what to do with it once it arrived. Well, they, they just, they let it dry out. I mean, it's. Yeah. They, just, anyway. but that, <laughs> Yeah. So uh, fertility. And so, so it may have been mugs is what we're trying to say. Right. <laughs> hey, we could have. No, uh, never mind. So the, uh, the, uh, the other tie that kind of links us to, to fertility is the fact that when Laban does chase them down and Rachel. She's sitting in her tent on on the camel saddle, mm-hmm. and Laban's rummaging. The word there is that you know basically he is rummaging through all of their stuff. Yeah, it, it says he felt through the tents. Yeah, uh, is it what it says in the ES, the SV, which I think is kind of funny because <laughs> I can see him going through and like shaking out the curtains and you know patting them down. Yeah, I was... which, which would lead me to believe that they were small items, right? And so he knew they could be hidden anywhere. And so that makes sense. And, uh, you know, she's, st- she's sitting on this, this saddle. And when he's going through her stuff, she, well, I'll just read what this translation says. Let the Lord not take it amiss that I cannot rise before you. The period of women is upon me. Yeah. ESV says the way of women. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think we need to really explain that. I mean. No, well, I, I do. Want, I, one of the things I do love about this is it goes to show that in that culture, those things were not hidden. Right. Because most girls don't talk to their dads about their periods. Uh, that's just. Well, it, well, and it was, it was a bigger thing in that culture. And, and that's actually, I mean, when you look at, I mean, the, the, uh, you know, sanitary items available to women today is it, it, it revolutionized the world. Oh yeah. Because it was a big deal. It was a lot harder to take care of. And you know, everyone wants to talk about how terrible it, it was that they were kind of excluded from everything. But when you didn't have any uh, reliable way to, to keep things sanitary, you just kind of had to. <laughs> and um, and so, yeah, there's some cultures do take that into a shameful way of things. But I think we all, almost kind of have more shame 
on it in a modern context because it is much less uh, open. We're, we're a lot more private about it. Oh, yeah. And we could talk. I mean, I won't go into it, but there's stories of things that women have done, extreme things even today, to try to hide the fact that they're dealing with this. And what I love about the story is the fact that it, she is so open with it. There is no shame. Um, even if she wasn't on her period at this time, she's still willing to use it as an excuse. Right. And the other thing that um, I, I think we miss when we look at the Levitical laws where we're, we're starting to separate women out during that time, anything a woman touched was considered unclean. So this means cooking and cleaning and things like that were, I mean, what was the point? She was just going to, they were now going to have to purify those items. Right. Which they, which you couldn't do with cooked food. Right. With unclean food. You just had to throw it out. So this is a week where she really gets to take care of herself, where she could be with other women. Um, give me that week off. I'll take it. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing, um, oh, I lost my train of thought on that with the unclean, who's throw it out. Um, oh, yeah. And the other thing is, uh, again, uh, and I think we've, I know we've mentioned this, but we, we uh, think of unclean as sinful in the 21st, whatever century we're in. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've, We've really conflated those two things, and ceremonial ritual purity is different than than being sinful. Precisely. And now, do does Paul def, does Paul use uh, clean and unclean later as an to be analogous of sin and Christ's purification? Sure, he absolutely does. But it's not it's not the same. The analogy, and at no point does an analogy does an analogy. Sorry, that's hard to say. <laughs> It's like spelling banana. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. But <laughs> at no point should, should our, our analogy overtake, or should it take the place of what we're trying to explain? Right. Which is another thing. I love it. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to go on a quick tangent here. Uh, we've all been in that situation where we try to explain something or try to to represent something by using an analogy. and the person who's against you is like, well, that's an oversimplification. It's like, yeah, that's what an analogy is. It's a simplification. <laughs> it's a starting point. And if you think that if, and if at any point someone arguing with you thinks that your analogy is your attempt to, to like fully uh, define something, they're not getting the point of what you're doing. <laughs> so uh, that's my little tangent there. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it, to me, that's frustrating. It's like, that's an over, oversimplification. Yes, I know. Well, and most analogies break down at some point, yeah. and we just have to accept that. And, yeah, and it's, it's, is this going to provide you a good toehold to get a concept? Yes. And then we can go deeper. Yeah, yeah, that's but, the point. The point yeah. is to simplify. But anyway, go ahead. So, yeah. So, she, so I think the fact that she's willing to use this excuse that um, when confronting Laban, it, she's almost saying, hey, look, I can still have kids. Because remember, Sarah, when mm -hmm. she's talking, you know, the way of women is not upon me, you know, whatever, however she phrased it. But it's almost, it's very right. similar wording. And um, so she's like, I can still have kids. I need these more than you do. It's kind of almost what she's saying to him. And I think we as a reader get that. Now, whether Laban got that or not, don't, you know, we may not hear, he may not have heard the same thing that we're hearing. Well, and also he didn't know she had them. Right. So, you know, he, was, he wouldn't have picked up on that part of it yeah and so i i just to me the fact that it is related to the fact that she is still able to have uh, you know the statement that she's still able to have children uh, and this is what she's hiding I, that makes me and and plus her just sheer desperation for a child that that makes me lean towards the the fertility uh interpretation of sure. what's going on and but that that kind of covers um as far as what they were, but I want to, I want to back up to when Laban catches Jacob. Okay. So Laban, basically he, um, this is, um, 31 verse 28 is where we're, where we're starting, uh, actually verse 27, you know, Jacob's like, you know, why did you run off? I would have sent you off with a parade. We would have hired Laban. a band. <laughs> Laban. Yeah. Yeah, I would have hired a band and, uh, you know, you didn't let me kiss them goodbye. And 
She's paraphrasing. Yeah, um, greatly. But <laughs> to anyone reading, what <laughs> translation is that? Sorry. The, the, the ESV, the Emily Standard Version. <laughs> Emily Simplified Version. <laughs> there you go. And, um, but then he finishes off his little speech where he's kind of like, you know, hey, look, I'm a great guy. Because this is what Laban always says whenever he talks to anybody. I'm a great guy. Yeah. And you need to know this. He says, um, why did you steal my gods? And Jacob answers Laban. He says, one, I was afraid. So who does this sound like? We're back with Abraham Mm -hmm. talking to Abimelech. Right. I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughter's. Or Abraham, you would take my wife. So we're retelling it again. Mm -hmm. But anyone with whom you find your God shall not remain alive. And Jacob's starting to, you know, notice Laban's my gods and Jacob's your gods. Right. So we're starting to see a little break here. Jacob's starting to kind of put some distance. Those are Laban's gods. Mm -hmm. Those aren't my gods. And, but then Jacob, dear, sweet Jacob idiot that he can be sometimes he makes this horrible pronouncement he says but anyone whom you find with your gods shall not remain alive right he has just spoken rachel's death sentence well that is if laban finds the gods actually no because she does die okay and she she dies in childbirth and she dies one in the midst of the act that she had been praying for, that she had wanted so desperately that here she that she'd been willing to risk her father's wrath. Right. And you know, sympathetic magic and magic period up to this point has been working. Sure. And so it's throughout this story. But the problem with whenever you start moving in these circles, what you wind up with is magic works in the Bible, but it only works to a point. Sure. And so she is, she, she, it's worked for her. And it, this is the son that she will have. Um, she'll have Benjamin and she'll die in childbirth with Benjamin. And, but Rachel, you know, Rachel's been very much a part of this whole scenario. Everything that's gone down, she's been manipul- manipulating along with mm-hmm. Lab. I mean, why wasn't she screaming her head off when they put Leah in the tent? Right. Why, why wasn't she throwing a fit? Oh, I'm not, and then I'm not having kids. Here's my maid. Take her. She's the one, Rachel's the one who started that. Right. And now, okay, hey, we're going to put one over on good old dad. I mean, I can't blame her. The guy sold her off like livestock. Right. But she's going she's gonna to play along. And then, hey, I need kids, so let's steal the fertility gods. Let's let's do this. So this is you know, now that's reading it through my lens. Sure. The, the idea of the teraphim are fertility gods, but again, I think it makes sense, and there's there's a lot of reasons for that because when she uh, when she names Benjamin, that's a horrible name. Uh, it, it's son of my sorrow, right? Son of my affliction. But another possible translation, and this has been proposed, um, I, I believe it was Rashi, he proposed it, son of my sin. Yeah. And so when we read that, when she does die, are we reading that as a confession? Are we reading that as her saying, hey, this is where I messed up? And that would be kind of huge. And when, um, when she dies, she's dying en route to Bethlehem and Jacob actually changed the son's name. And then uh, she's using that word for affliction, which we find in Exodus with the slavery we find in uh, uh, where else? Anyway, other places where we find the word affliction, but specifically with, with um, Egypt, whenever we're going into the first chapter of Exodus. Right. And she's kind of outcast at this point because she's not, um, she's not buried with the others. Jacob and Leah are, are buried together, but Jacob and Rachel are not. Interesting. Yeah. And so the fact that she was giving birth on the way to, um, to Bethlehem, that's actually going to come in very big, I think probably next episode. But 
I'm getting lost in my notes here. All the notes. All the notes. Yeah. But, okay, so the other, but before we get there, I wanted to point out, too, that this story of Jacob running away Mm -hmm. needs to be read in the context of Genesis 3. Okay. Because Jacob... In Genesis 3, that's where... That's the fall. That's the fall. That's where they get sent out from the garden. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I said, I think it was the last episode, Jacob's name means heel. Uh So when we talk about heels in the Bible, we go back to... You know, the serpent will nip at the heel and the, the, uh, uh, the, the, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll strike your heel and you'll crush, uh, his, you'll head. crush his head. Yes. Yeah. That was the word I was looking for. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, there, so we were taken back there. Um, Laban says the exact same words that God does. What have you done? Right. And, uh, they're hiding, they're running away. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Laban says, You stole my heart in the Hebrew. That's literally, oh, wow. Yeah. And so, um, you know, what, what did Adam and Eve functionally do? Right. Uh, when God calls out for Adam, he, Adam's response, you know, God says, why, do, why did you hide? And Adam says, I was afraid. Now, does this have anything to do with the, um, you're going to love this question. <laughs> does this have anything to do with the idea of Eden as a temple and man as God's representation? such as uh, often is put together as like in being the image, like an idol would be an image. Um, I know that there is, uh, I can't remember who it was you said did that, but I remember you, we were talking about some work. So did this ha- does this also have, so Adam was hiding, mm-hmm. and then you have the hidden uh, teraphim. And I was just wondering, is there any kind of parallel with that? Or is there... <laughs> or have you have you run across any of that in your notes? I haven't read Well, not in your notes, but in your study. Yeah. <laughs> definitely don't have it in my notes. Um I haven't read anything specifically um what Nathan was referring to that's actually uh John Walton's um the uh Walton, Yeah, I I knew I knew yeah, I couldn't I couldn't think of the name. Sorry. Yeah, he, uh, he and he's amazing. John Walton's stuff is like right up there top shelf. Um he's just brilliant. But one of the things, uh, he wrote a book called Genesis Lost or The Lost World of Genesis mm-hmm. and um, available on Amazon. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And essentially, if you read Genesis, specifically Genesis 2, and that may actually be something that we do um, a little bit more work with on maybe a bonus episode or something. Sure. And um, But Genesis 2 is a temple account. It's all about setting up a temple. So as God's creating Eden, he's actually building a temple. Right. And the last thing you put in a temple is the image of the God. And when you put the image of the God in, then you ceremonially open the eyes, mouth, and ears. And so the spirit, the breath, because in Hebrew it's the same word, right. can inhabit that idol and now bring it to life in, in a metaphoric or symbolic fashion. But God does it in a realistic fa- fashion when he breathes his breath into Adam to bring him to life. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if it has anything as far as like the teraphim being hidden or maybe the teraphim being subjugated, uh, kind of the idea of not taking that prominent place where Jacob is starting to take that prominent place. Yeah. Well, it's just, I was just wondering because you were talking about uh, this being the being sent out from the gardens and out. So I was wondering if the, if the hiding of the teraphim and the hiding of Adam yeah. had anything, any kind of parallel. Um, if anyone, yeah, you know, if anyone else has any information on that, let us know. We're, or even thoughts. I or mean, even I'm, thoughts. Yeah, we'll we'll take that too. And, but I that's think that's what we do here. We think. Well, and I think this is what really ties in because we talked about how the retellings help you understand one story to the next. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where it really ties in uh, the the two accounts is because when Jacob says, "Whoever has your gods will not remain alive," there's also that pronouncement of death. In Genesis three, that mm-hmm. did it didn't happen immediately, right? It happens later, and that's the same thing that happens with Rachel. So I think we have to read both kind of together to kind of flesh it out, right? Because you know, in Genesis three, the story was about sacred space lost, mm-hmm. and Jacob's story is about sacred space regained, and so that's what it, it that's where the two become subversive, right? And okay. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's it, it's pretty interesting. I like that. I, I think it's you know that's those are the fun things I I like to uh, like to to pull on because it helps you it helps you get deeper into that text because when we recognize how succinct that the Bible is and how how it's using its words very economically. Mm-hmm then it can actually pack a lot more details in by including those stories to work off each other. Right. And so there's actually another story that uh, plays off of Rachel's story is about, is found in Samuel. Okay. And is this, uh, just, just tell me, I can't think of her name. (laughs) I lost her name. Go ahead. Actually, it's, um, it's kind of an overall thing because we aren't going to, I don't want to go too deep into it. Um, but Samuel, Saul, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, not Samuel, Saul's a Benjaminite, so the son that um, Rachel gave birth to in her death, mm-hmm. uh, it's about losing kingship, and about when Saul consults with a witch, we've got those themes of uh, magic running through there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the first sign that um, Samuel gives to Saul that he's going to be a king is that he's got to go to Rachel's tomb. Okay. And so you're you're sent right back there. Uh, Saul's daughter have the teraphim again. Like I said, that's one of the few places that shows up in the Bible. Um, and the tradition, this is in the Midrash, and, and uh, again, not in the Bible, is that Mikhail never had a child until the day of her death. Interesting. Just, just like Rachel. First uh, Samuel opens with the capture of the ark and the death of Eli and his sons. Eli's daughter, a daughter-in-law, gives birth and dies. And she names her son, that wonderful, great name, Ichabod. The glory <laughs> has departed. And this is, it, it all, the, the women dying in childbirth, that those themes bring you back to Rachel. And Saul, because of his lineage, bring you back to Rachel. And the fact he's going to her tomb, bring you back to Rachel. So you're supposed to read that story, maybe not seeing explicit point-by-point connections, but that you're still supposed to have her in mind. And so she informs you know, her, her death, life and death inform your understanding. And the thing is with, with Rachel, Jacob changes the name. Right. And so now it's, it's no longer son of my sorrow. When, when the glory departs from, um, from Shiloh and from Israel in particular, you know, Shiloh in particular, Israel in, in general, there's no father to change the name. Okay. And so it's the necessity of a father to be able to, to name his children and to actually guide them into their destiny. Right. And Jacob, that's going to be something he's going to wrestle with throughout. And right. he's really not going to get it right until he's almost dead. And like so many other biblical characters. Like so many people. Um, <laughs> that's... <laughs> and so, uh, and, and that's, I mean, I know that it sounded real kind of sketchy and that, that was kind of loose, but to get into it, we would have to spend a lot of time in Samuel. And we've talked about, I think we're going to go there. We are going to go there pretty soon. Uh, I think we're going to probably, uh, just to let everyone know um, kind of what to expect, because we are getting close to the end of, Pretty mm-hmm. close to the end of Genesis. Uh, we we still have Joseph to cover, um, we, and that's a whole. That's going to be really fun. We'll probably be there for a little while. Mm-hmm. But by the time we wrap up, um, we with Genesis, there's actually another podcast that we like a lot. That that we like a lot, and, and um, they're actually getting ready to cover Exodus. They so started. Have that, that's right. They actually have just started Exodus. Um, excuse me. So we know that. Uh, well, it's the Naked Bible podcast with mm-hmm. Dr. Heiser. We know he's going to do a much better job than we could with Exodus. And so we're going to let him have it. <laughs> we're going to let him do that um, because he's just that good. And, um, and again, we're, we're trying to be somewhere between Heiser and uh, what you would get uh, on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're trying to, to go there. Now, what we will probably do is maybe if, if there's something in there that we found in our studies that we find interesting, we might come back and do like a, a truncated Exodus uh, right. s- well, series. But I, I don't want to try to cover that while Heiser's covering it because I know there's just going to be so much good information there that if you really want to get into Exodus, 
Go check it out. Naked Bible Podcast. I don't remember the exact address, but we'll link to it, it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, we'll link to it. And if you Google that, you're going to find it. Yeah. And the, if you, if, if you, uh, DRMSH is his webs- website for Dr. Michael S. Heiser. So DRMSH.com. Um, yeah, that's a fantastic resource. So, but I just, I, and I, I figured use- I would, yeah. So we're looking at, um, he's also covered Leviticus. So we're not going to go in that. Um, <laughs> Deuteronomy, I don't think we're qualified for. I'm not qualified for. Well, and um, we may go through and pull out some fun things that, that we want to talk about. But we, we, as far as like Exodus, we don't need to distract from what he's doing. Not that we got a huge following like he does. But at the same time, if you want to continue with this, he's a great place to go. And yeah. and so, so we're, we're thinking of judges because we know that we're because we're kind of trying to look at overlooked stories, overlooked mm-hmm. details. And things like that. So we will probably be heading to Judges when we wrap up Genesis. I know that's probably still uh, several weeks out before we get there. Yeah. But I uh, just wanted to throw that out there to everyone to, to kind of get an idea of what to look forward and and not to be disappointed if we don't jump right into Exodus after this. Because Exodus is a fun book. There's a lot of great stuff. There, in it. There is some fun thing. And there may be just a couple of things that we do pull out of Exodus at some point. But we just, you know, we're trying to be respectful. It's yeah. kind of what it boils down to. And so, but that's the reason why, even with this, uh, talking about Rachel and Samuel and all of that, I didn't want to go too deep into it because Samuel is like one of the most artfully written books. It, yeah, it's it's beautiful. And and so, yeah, it's going to be really fun to get into that. I, I can't wait. I mean, although Judges is a whole lot of fun, too. So Judges <laughs> is just fun because that, that is the um, action um uh, genre of the bible i it's, mean it's like that it's like an action montage almost it's and, chuck norris and, <laughs> and then uh and yeah so so we are super excited hopefully we'll be able to get into that before before too long but we also don't we also like where we're at so we don't want to neglect mm-hmm. where we are but um you know ruth is going to be another fun one to to get into um because i know even though we've heard it a lot in sunday school um uh, we've heard a lot of things that were incorrect so uh Things that'll make you raise your eyebrows. <laughs> so, and, and you know what? Maybe maybe we can do a vote in the paddle store. Who wants to, uh, what yeah. we want to do next. But So if you want to be a part of the vote, be, become yeah. a supporter on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, go to Patreon. Yeah, you can get in the paddle store by going to patreon.com. Any level of membership gets you in. Um, and that can be found by going to Raven Creek SC. Uh, click the support link on the bottom right. And uh, just kind of follow what, what we got there. So... Um, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go on like a whole advertising tangent. I'm not trying to wrap up the show. Did you have anything else you wanted to throw in? Um, you know, I, I, I will bring up two things uh, okay. and then we're going to, then we'll call it good for this episode. Uh, after Laban goes and rummages around in the tents, Jacob gets angry for only the second time in his entire life story at this point. Okay. And it's like he realizes I am literally being abused mm-hmm. that because only slaves don't have the rights to privacy. And that's something if you, you read the halakha, uh, which that's the, the Jewish writings on how to live and how to actually apply the law. Right. And um, Dr. Brad Young actually has some great stuff in his books about that. Yeah. Dr. Young has that. uh <laughs> Dr. Maxie Birch also has a great uh, uh, bit on that on uh, uh, Christian History History of Christianity podcast. Um, We'll link to that one as well. He does uh, he does cover that uh, pretty well in some of Mm -hmm. in one of those episodes as well. And I do definitely recommend um, check those out because he's he's a fun teacher. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's uh, it's definitely a college course, but it's very easy to understand. And, and if you want to learn, I mean, that's really what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to buying the books and spending the time listening to the lectures. And it's just the investment you have to make. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, the, the Halakha it was, is very specific about personal rights, personal privacy. Mm-hmm. And um, so this was really a huge breach of etiquette and also very telling of Laban's view of, Joseph, of Jacob. Right. That he would even dare to do this. And um, I think this is kind of what cements that break between the two. 
mm-hmm. when when Jacob's like, you know, I am done. Because when he tried to leave the first time, Jacob's like, I mean, Laban's, so what's it going to take to keep you here? Right. And the thing that's that was stands out when Jacob was heading to Laban's house, he was dreaming of angels. He was dreaming of God. He was dreaming of what his future and identity were going to be. Mm-hmm. By the time he leaves Laban's house, he's dreaming of sheep. Right. And so <laughs> his dreams are changing because he's starting to look like Laban. And it's starting to be about what can I gain? What Because you know, sheep is basically money. So if you're dreaming about money, right. your heart's in the wrong place. And so there's kind of a, a question, and I don't think we can answer it from the text, but I think it's worth considering. Who is Jacob really angry at? Is he angry at God, or not God, or Laban, or is he angry at himself for forgetting who God has called him to be? That, that's an interesting take on it. I hadn't come across that before. Yeah, because, I mean, here's, you know, he has gone from being kind of hesitant when his mom suggests tricking his father. Right. To straight up, full on resorting to magic in order to get the most out of a situation. Yeah. So this is what Laban's danger to to Jacob really is, because Laban is everything Jacob naturally is inclined to be anyway. Right. And he's really bringing that out in Jacob. And so Jacob knows he's got to get away. And it's not just a matter of wealth. It's a matter of his identity. Yeah. Well, and so was that... That's, that's, I mean... So so if we want to draw a Sunday school uh, illustration out of this, pick your... Pick your friends wisely. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I, I'm not going to reduce the whole thing down to that. No, there's there's so much more going on in this story. But I, I mean, I think the, the main thing we need to do is remember we need to read this looking at how God is interacting with humanity and not and, and, and get our focus off of the individuals in the story um, as as the people we're supposed to be imitating and the right. people we're supposed to be. Um, glorifying because there really is no um there's no way to justify what people do and what these people have done well and there's the it's more complex than just right or wrong Mm -hmm. because we couldn't say oh well then he should have never gone to laban's no his mom and dad sent him there right so he needed to go there now was he supposed to stay there right maybe not well he was he was supposed to stay there until Rebecca's uh, sent for him. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he well, he was supposed to stay there until Esau quit being angry with him. Right now, did that take fourteen years? Probably not. Not knowing what we know about Esau. Right, and so you know how many. And what we don't get in the story is how many times did Rebecca send for him? How how many times? Or did she send for him at all? She, did, yeah, did she send for him at all? Um, there's lots of questions that that are out there to be pondered. And I do really wonder about that. Did she send for him? And did he say, well, I kind of got myself in a seven-year contract? <laughs> well, and at what point did he forget God's promise to, to take him back? I mean, was it when he saw Rachel and, you know, lust is ignited and suddenly he forgets what God has told him to do? And when he looked at Rachel, was he seeing her as his future, as his destiny to join in this covenant promise? Or was she, he seeing her as... You know, a, the lamb that she was named for, another part of the flock, another right. part of of becoming rich, and God just saying, "Hey, um, you know, if that's what you want, I'll step back for a little while," and because God's really good at that, right? And then Laban, you know, Laban does his fancy footwork, and that's how easy it is. I mean, if, if we, Rachel may not have been the choice that God had for Jacob. And it could have been that, you know, because after he married Leah, he could have said, you know what? I'm out of here. I've got a wife. This is what I was supposed to accomplish. Let's go back. Yeah. Speaking of questions from the text, here's an interesting one. I'm just going to throw this out there for, for future speculation for, you know, whatever we want to think about. So we talk about the inheritance and the birthright mm-hmm. and the blessing or the, the blessing and the birthright. So had... Had Jacob not stolen the birthright, God still would have delivered on his promise. We, we know that. Right. Just because of the character of God. Mm-hmm. So my question is, how much, 
how much more smoothly would things have gone for one? Would, would... If Rebecca had trusted? Yeah, if Rebecca had trusted, uh, because we also, we see when Jacob comes back, things are not in disarray. Esau's basically taking care of the estate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he had to do some maturing while Jacob was away. Mm-hmm. And so had Esau stayed in charge and stayed the, you know, gotten his due as the older brother, how much more, because also, you know, we have him promising to protect Jacob when he returns. So he's Mm -hmm. obviously got resources and and manpower. And I just think about that and, and I wonder what could, what could that have looked like had Jacob done the right thing, had Rebecca done the right thing? And, and how would Esau and possibly Edom and Israel grown closer over the years as a result? Right. And so I, I, those are things that I wonder about. Um, would that have been, because what we wind up having is Jacob and his sons go to Egypt, Mm -hmm. um, because of the famine, Mm -hmm. they don't go to Edom. Right. Uh, and, and they don't turn to his brothers. So I wonder, it's like, had, had Esau had those things, this is just pure speculation, would he have been able to build uh, the estate up in that time, uh, not having to go and find a wife uh, and work for 14 years? Would he have been able to have built the estate up to the point that there would have been uh, enough provisions where they didn't have to go to Egypt? So th- again, thoughts, just speculations. Well, so. now we do know, as far as that goes, that... When this began, God did tell Abraham that his children were going to go into bondage for 300 years. Mm -hmm. And so we do know that that was kind of unavoidable by the time that, that Jacob, but how, how was it going to work out? And, and that, that becomes that big question. Where does human free will come in? Where does predestination and is predestination, uh, meticulous determinism and all of those fun theological themes. And that's the reason why I'm a glad I'm a text person and not a theological person. Not not a systematic (laughs) theologian. Yeah. Yeah, Because the the text provides enough for us to actually ponder these things. And I think it's good for us to ponder these things Mm -hmm. because we get to ask what would, what would I have done if I was in Jacob's place? Right. Would would I have said, okay, Leah, we're hitting the road now, which was I think is probably his best bet because who knows that could have been God's way of saying, I've taken care of getting you the right wife. Right. It, it doesn't have to be this gal that you're lusting for because it's really what it boiled down to whether he was lusting for her as a person or as that that representative of wealth. It it wasn't necessarily love because, uh, yeah. Because when she does it, okay, I can support that. Let me do that. Go, go for that. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I saw it. When she comes to him and says, give me children so I don't die or else I'm going to die. And she, she comes to Jacob and Jacob's response to her, you know, I said he gets the second time with Laban, with Laban when he gets mad, that's the second time he gets mad. Mm-hmm. It's, he gets mad at her the first time. And who am I? You know, do you think I'm God that I can give you children? Right. And he he had had it modeled for him what a husband was supposed to treat his wife like. Mm-hmm. Because when Rebecca went to Isaac, Isaac prays for Rebecca. Right. Jacob never prays for for um, Rachel, and in fact, he he just he he's just mean to her in that moment. There's no compassion. He has his sons. He doesn't need her to have sons. Right. Well, and she's a shepherd and she's watching the sheep. (laughs) I can't have you out of, out of commission. Precisely. You know, yeah. Sheep to watch. And and there's that, you know, he should have, if he really loved her, where was the compassion? Yeah. That makes sense. Where was, yeah. But that also goes back to that magical aspect. Did she think, why didn't she pray for herself? Did she think that, Jacob had some kind of special sway, sure. which he was establishing shortly after that. He establishes his ability, mm-hmm. or sometime during that time. We don't know exactly when the whole sheep and the sticks and the goats thing went down. But that's, you know, so he, he has this, this reputation of being a holy man, uh, what maybe even what we consider a shaman. Okay. And so, yeah. So well, Cool. Well, that's, that's definitely some fun stuff to ponder. Uh, a lot of that we didn't really plan to go into, but but uh, enjoy. So and, and to everyone out there listening, thank you so much for joining us. We we really enjoy doing this. 
and we want to keep doing it. So please share, uh, subscribe, write us a review. And if you like us, that is, if you don't like us, you can write us a review, I guess. But whatever you want to do. Can't stop you. I can't stop you. Yeah, that's <laughs> how the world works. So um, the, yeah, join us again. Uh, be part of the conversation. Kind of guide what we, what we want to do. Give us, let us know what you want to know about Raven Creek SC on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are going to be there. Um, RavenCreekSC.com in order to find all those places. Um, find show notes, things like that um, by going to RavenCreekSC.com slash faith and other oddities. Um, or you can just go to the, the homepage and click down at the bottom. That works. Yeah, click. The, that's probably easier. Um, if you want to support us financially um, to help keep, the, keep uh, all the sound equipment going, upgrading equipment, things like that, Raven, you know, patreon.com slash Raven Creek is that, that's where you can find that. There's a lot of places you can find us online, but if you, if Google you go Raven Creek or faith and other oddities, we come up, that will get, <laughs> that will get you there. Um, but yes. So I think that's all we got for this week. Uh, until next week, have a great week. Say week again. Um, <laughs> same week again. <laughs> I said, say, say week again. I just, I said week like seven times or something like that could be significant. No, I don't, I don't think it was actually seven. I was exaggerating. So, um, Everyone have a great week. Come back and see us next time. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.